This morning we are starting a new series, just a very mini-series on healing, actually. And uh, on uh, January 15th, we're going to have another day of prayer, as we've had a couple times in the past. And uh, so we'll, on January 15th, we'll have a regular service. And then, uh, just so you're all aware, it's coming. Uh, we will stay after, and uh, some people may choose to fast that day. We won't be having any meal or anything, uh, but we'll stay after in about... 12 o'clock until 2.30 or so, we'll have a time of prayer as we have in the past. And the focus is going to be on healing. And um, we're going to have five or six different areas or different topics of healing that we're going to be focusing on that day. And uh, you'll get to pick three of those topics out of the six. And you have different stations where you'll be going to pray. And there will be guided prayer there and scripture and intercession and all kinds of things like that going on that day. And it's going to be great. If you've been at our other prayer days, you know how they go. And... uh, but it's going to be focused on healing. And so we're going to spend the next uh, three Sundays, this one and then the 8th and then the 15th, talking about healing. And, and healing is one of the more difficult topics in the Bible to wrestle with, uh, both in a, a modern and a personal context. I mean, we pray for healing on uh, at least a weekly basis, and for many of you, I'm sure, even on a daily basis. And healing is a big part of the, our cry out to God. And as we consider healing, uh, and especially miraculous healing, and the healing that God does and brings into our lives uh, from time to time in that way, there's pitfalls that we can easily fall into as Christians. Uh, Primarily that that people, and and we as Christians, are, are prone to have the Scripture and prone to have the Bible say too much about healing. Um, And then on the other hand, the other pitfall is that as Christians, we tend to have the Bible say too little about healing and what God can do in healing. And, and we want as much as possible as Christians and as followers of God and readers of his word to allow the Bible to say to us just what the Bible says and not say any more than what the Bible says about any topic, but especially healing here in the following weeks, and at the same time not have the Bible say anything less than what it does about healing. So it is a, a deeply personal and a topic that, that, we, that we take very personally and that we need to treat carefully. And so what the questions that we sort of raise within this idea of healing and God's healing is, is what needs to be healed? And does God heal? And how and when does this healing happen? And, and why are we healed? And why aren't we healed? And how are we as Christians meant to understand and then live in a world that's in need of healing? Those are hard questions, and they're often deeply personal questions because we ourselves are all struggling with our own forms of sickness. And we're all struggling with a need in our own life of healing. And so as we approach this day of prayer and as we approach this topic of healing, we're not doing it casually and we're not doing it flippantly. We want Scripture to tell us exactly what Scripture says. And so if we're going to build a proper view or a a proper theology of healing from Scripture, it needs to be built on the right framework. And so I was thinking as I was writing this, I was picturing those buildings that you see going up and you see all this. The first thing you see go up is the steel girders, right? And there's no walls, there's nothing else. There's just that skeleton of the steel girders. And those steel girders are going to support the whole frame of the building, Whatever size it is and whatever it's going to be, those steel girders support it. And when we think about a proper view of healing as Christians and how we look at healing in our own lives and in the world, we have to get a few, of that, a few things of that framework established right. 
so that we're hanging our theology and our knowledge of healing on the right framework. And so today I just want to establish two sort of solid pieces of that framework, the posts and the beams that are required for us to build the rest of our understanding of healing on. I think if we get these two things right, they sort of form that framework of which we can understand how God's healing is working through Scripture and in our lives. And I'll give them to you up front, and then I'll try to illuminate them from Scripture, and and so there's no secrets. The first one is the most important healing that mankind requires is the healing of our relationship with God. So when we look at healing from a scriptural, biblical context, we start with the understanding that the most important healing that mankind requires is the healing of our relationship with God. And then secondly, we also need to understand, paired with that, is that God is not ignoring our health and well-being. Our health and our well-being is important to God. And we need to understand healing within those two contexts. And so if you open your Bibles with me or, or tap on your phones with me uh, to Mark chapter 2, and we will start, as it is always good to start with, with Jesus. And as you're doing that, I'll just pray for God's anointing this morning. Father God, as we open up your word and we tackle this topic that is very close to all of us, I pray that you would give me wisdom and you would give us hearts that understand to be able to see how you are healing and you are redeeming and you are reconciling and you are making new and that you are doing that through your son and that he has come to begin and complete that process at the same time and to teach us what he is doing. And so I pray that through his words and through the words of your saints who have written in scripture and has been preserved by your Holy Spirit, that we would understand uh, these lessons this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark chapter 2 is a kind of a classic text to go to for healing. It's a story that many of you will know. It's the story of the paralytic man. And I'm just going to read it. And uh, we're going to examine sort of two sort of startling things in the story. And so it's Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he, and I'm talking about Jesus is the he, <laughs> give you some context. And he, Jesus, was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately... Jesus, perceiving in his spirit, they thus questioned within themselves, said to him, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. 
Now, this is a really great story. It's got everything in it, right? It's got courage. It's got drama. It's got a confrontation. It has surprising twists. There's miracles. There's mystery. And in this story, best of all, for our purposes today, it shows Jesus exactly how he always is, right? It shows us Jesus teaching us in his special way exactly what it is that we need to learn. And there's two big surprises in this text. The, the one big surprise is obvious. It's probably the one that you know, you've heard talked about the most in this particular Bible verse. Uh, the surprise, uh, but that's you know, the, the, the surprise of the scribes at what Jesus says. Right? That's sort of the big surprise. They're, they're wondering about what it is that Jesus has just said. But the first surprise that we're going to look at um, is actually less obvious probably. And, and it's the surprise of the paralytic and his friends. But that surprise, the surprise that they have, points us in the right direction for our understanding of healing. So let's just look at this first surprise. Let's imagine the scene. The house is, is packed with people, right? It's jammed to the walls. And suddenly, as you're sitting there in this jammed house, a crack appears in the ceiling and the tiles get pulled away and light starts streaming in from the roof and a bed starts coming down on ropes and lands right in front of Jesus. And Jesus sees the man lying on this stretcher there with the ropes attached to it as friends have just lowered him down and he is a paralytic. He's unable to move and he's looking expectantly at Jesus and Jesus leans forward to the man and says, your sins are forgiven. And so at that point, there's got to be surprise, right? I mean, like... You know, I just imagine if it was sort of a young man, maybe as a teenager, kind of a young man, I could just, in sort of today's sort of teenager voice, I kind of imagine, okay, hmm, well, Jesus, yes. You know, you've been healing people all these last few weeks, and we heard stories about your healing, and here I am. You sort of see what's going on here, right, Jesus? You've noticed the stretcher and the ropes and the dramatic entrance. I can't walk, right? So, so thank you, Rabbi, I suppose, for that strange blessing that you just gave me. But my more immediate need right now is the fact that I'm, I'm paralyzed. So maybe that? So there's surprise there, right? How, how could there not be surprise with the paralytic and his friend that, that Jesus leans forward at that moment and says, your sins are forgiven? But it's at that point of the text, and, it's, and the point of Jesus' reply is, no, that's not your most immediate need. You think what you need most right now is to be healed, but no, you don't need that the most. You think because you are paralyzed that if, if you could just walk again, then everything would be great and you would be happy from now on, for the rest of your life, life would be perfect if only this illness was taken away from you. But Jesus is saying something extraordinarily important. No, no material prosperity, no physical condition is more important to you than having a right relationship with God. That is the most important thing that's going on here right now. I saw the stretcher. I saw the rope. I see that you can't walk. And the first thing that I have to do the most important thing I can do for you is forgive your sins. 
And so just like with the woman at the well, Jesus is the one who knows the man's deepest need, right? He could look into the heart of the woman at the well and know what was really going on in her life and the thirst that she truly had. And it's the same thing here. Jesus knows what this man needs. He knows our deepest need. Whatever physical healing might be required, and and we all have physical and mental and emotional and psychological damage and relational damage that needs healing. We all have it. We are all the man on the stretcher. But whatever need we have physically, more than that, and first, our deepest need is our relationship with God being healed. And Jesus knows this. And that's why he says it. And now I know it's easy to push back on this and say that for this man, the most important thing is his healing. And it is important to note here and keep in mind that, that Jesus does heal him. Okay, Jesus ends up healing the man. He's not unaware of or uncompassionate about the physical need. But that's the second important part of our framework that the Bible does not align itself with these ancient traditions that says, well, you know, the body is just a shell and it's unimportant and and really it's our soul and our our mystical spirit, which is important. And eventually we're going to leave our body behind and uh, our our body is just, it doesn't matter about oppression and it doesn't matter about suffering and it it doesn't matter about sickness and it doesn't matter about disease because really we're just going to leave the physical behind anyway and we're going to become spirit and escape all of this. The Bible will have none of that. Okay, the Christianity stands opposed to that ancient sort of mystical spirituality because the God made the physical world. God made our bodies. He intended them to be perfect and whole. And so it's important that we understand that second piece, which we will get to, that poverty and oppression and disease and sickness do matter and that God and Jesus have compassion for those things. The Bible will not allow us to get away with thinking that we're just going to somehow escape a broken body. God created both body and soul, and God is redeeming both body and soul. And so our view of eternity is a renewed and perfect material universe, but as important as the physical is, it's not the primary need for us in this life. What we need is for our sins to be forgiven. We need our relationship with God to be healed. Because first and foremost, what's broken is our relationship with God. That's the need. And so now in our flesh, it's easy for us to push back on this, for us to say, or for that paralytic to say, you know, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've suffered or what I am suffering. How dare you say that my biggest need is to deal with my own sin? Right? I have been given a horrible illness through no fault of my own. Or maybe even I've been abused. Through no fault of my own. I am broken and I need healing. I didn't do it to myself. How can you say my biggest need is my sin and that I have to get right with God? That the big problem is not how I've been treated, but the big problem is my sin. How can you say that? Well, yes. Your sin is still your biggest need even for your own personal happiness, even to deal with the healing that needs to take place in your body or in your spirit or in your mind or in your emotions. Because whatever brokenness or illness you are facing, and it may be depression, it may be cancer, it may be arthritis, it may be recovering from abuse, it may be addiction, it may be a broken marriage, it may be loneliness, it could be the result of sin, 
There is no way to face that suffering with hope apart from knowing that the creator God of the universe knows you and has forgiven you and has adopted you. And so whatever illness, whatever brokenness, whatever is destroyed in your life right now, that is not your primary concern if you are not yet right with God. Your relationship with God has to be forgiven, has to be made right first, and that you are adopted into His family and that you are caught up in the great work of His redeeming you and redeeming all of creation along with you because God is in this great work of redemption and you need to be part of that or the healing will never really happen. You won't be able to forgive the people who have harmed you. You won't be able to make sense of the illness that has struck you. You won't be able to untangle the lies that oppress you unless your relationship with God is made right. And so for your own good, before any other healing takes place, your biggest need, just like this paralytic, is the healing of that broken relationship with God. Now there's a so that's the surprise. Right, that, that, that's the first big surprise in the story. The second big surprise, which, which I alluded to and which you probably already were aware of in the story, is the surprise of the scribes. When Jesus says that, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now the scribes are surprised. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so now the, the scribes are surprised and, and they're offended at Jesus, but they're right. Okay, they're, they're surprised, they're offended, they're, they're upset, but they're not wrong. They're, they're absolutely right. They're actually correct. Nobody can forgive sins except God. Only the one who is offended can forgive, right? If, you know, if I punch Mark in the nose, which might happen, you never know. He's an elder now. Things could get out of hand. But if I punch Mark in the nose and then Steve comes up to me and says, Paul, I forgive you for punching Mark in the nose. Like Mark's over there. What? <laughs> you can't do that. You know, he punched me. Right? So the, scri- the scribes are right. How, how can Jesus forgive sins? People sin. If, if the man sinned, he sinned against God. And here's Jesus saying that he's forgiven his sins. And so then Jesus turns. He's not done teaching. He says, which is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? And so now, which is easier? Neither of them is easy to say. Well, maybe they're both easy to say. Neither of them is easy to do, that's for sure, right? You can't say it and mean it. You can't say to somebody who's paralyzed to get up and walk, nor can you say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. And that's what Jesus is driving at. There's no sense saying it unless you can deliver on it. And only Jesus can deliver on the forgiveness of sins. A rabbi can say it, or a Catholic priest can say it, that your sins are absolved. Say ten our fathers, whatever. But they can't deliver on it. They can say your sins are forgiven, but they can't actually forgive sins. And that's the point Jesus is making. He says, you can't say that any more than you can say to this paralytic, get up and walk. But let me tell you that I have authority to say what I say. And to prove it, I will say that this man can get up and walk. And so Jesus does it. And he says, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. Because Jesus can forgive sins. Because Jesus has that authority. 
He has authority to heal our relationship with God. He has authority to heal our bodies and our spirits and our minds and anything else that he wants to heal. There was no point in Jesus saying to the man, your sins are forgiven, unless Jesus was actually going to go to the cross in order to pay for those sins. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew that the cross was a finished work in God's redemptive plan. He was God and he was going to that cross and so he could say that the sins were forgiven. The relationship is healed. The man is now adopted into the family of God. And that is the healing that Jesus dies to accomplish. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. We've been healed. Peter uses the word healed there because that's what Jesus accomplished is our healing. And so the man does pick up his bed and he does walk and he does go home. Our most important need is that our relationship with God is healed. But God is not ignoring our health and well-being or our physical reality is also important to God. And so from this story of Jesus' healing, I want to sort of lift us up to a little higher level and look at where this healing fits into the bigger picture of God and his plan for the world. And we're going to do that very quickly from three texts, so quickly. But I want you to see how this, the thread of these sort of two great truths kind of go through Scripture from beginning to end and how it is what Jesus was teaching and how it's what we need today when we consider healing as Christians in the world. These two great threads that our first healing is our relationship with God and the secondly that God cares about the redemption of our bodies and our physical well-being as well. We start in Genesis chapter 3. Sickness and brokenness came into the world by sin and the curse. And this is what God is redeeming. That's what God is healing. It is literally the entire story of the Bible, starting with our relationship with God that was broken, but also everything else about the physical world that has become cursed and broken through sin as well. In Genesis chapter 3, you remember Eve ate the fruit. Adam was standing there, watched her do it, had some too. Both of them fall into sin, thinking they want to be like God. And then what happens in Genesis 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. First thing that needs to be healed, our relationship with God is broken. Mankind is hiding from God because the relationship has been severed and needs to be healed. And then as you go on and God untangles what has happened and what has taken place in his garden and how we have disobeyed and broken that relationship, then in verses 14 on down, God says to the serpent that, you know, you've done this. This is your fault. You're going to be cursed and you're going to crawl on the on the belly and there's going to be enmity. And then as we talked over the whole Advent season, there's going to be an offspring of Eve who's eventually going to crush your head. And we celebrated all of that the last four weeks which is amazing. But then look as you continue what God says is going to happen to the physical reality of his creation. He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desires shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall reel over you. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and have eaten from the tree I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face 
disgrace you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This needs to be healed. This is what has happened now. We've broken our relationship with God, and from the broken relationship with God has come the curse and the sin and the pain and the thorns and the going into the dust and the dying, and this all needs to be healed. And this is what Jesus is healing in the paralytic man. He's healing the broken relationship, and he's healing the brokenness of the curse of this world in the illness of the paralysis. And the Apostle Paul sees the same redemptive pattern in all of creation and, and very personally in the bodies of his fellow Christians. Not just the sick, but oppressed. They're crucified. They're burned. They're thrown to lions. They're suffering in the church. And Paul sees it, and he writes to them in, in the city of Rome. He writes his letter to the Romans in chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. We see how Paul understands this same healing that has to take place. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption. For in this we hope, for in this hope we were saved, and now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes and what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It's amazing scripture here, but what is God, what, what is Paul looking forward to? What is that hope? Right? He says, all of creation is groaning, and not just all of creation, but we're groaning, we're sick, we're in pain, we're suffering. And we're suffering, waiting, even though we are the first fruits, even though we have been adopted. We have that adoption as sons of God. But we're awaiting within our adoption, even though we have had that relationship with God healed and made right, even within our adoption, we await still more redemption. The redemption, not just of the relationship with God, which has been redeemed, but the redemption of our bodies and everything finally made perfect. And so we looked at it in Genesis, explained the whole thing, the broken relationship, the broken world that needs to be healed. Jesus points to it and teaches it in the healing there. Paul paints it as only Paul can in these sort of big, huge, doctrinal, amazing statements. And then we see it at the end. What is it that Paul is hoping in? You go to the very end, you go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. And now you have the disciple John at the end of his life and writing the very end of the Scriptures and the end of the Bible. And this is John writing. And what does he see at the very end, at the consummation of all things that God is aiming at towards? He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So this is what John sees at the end. What do we see in this redemptive history, in this redemptive conclusion? First of all, see that it is a coming down. Just very quickly, he sees the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. This is a picture of the glory and the healing and the redemption of God coming down out of heaven to transform the earth. Remember I said, this is not us escaping out of this body. This is not us escaping spiritually out of this physical world. This is the physical world being redeemed, heaven coming down and transforming this physical reality into a new heaven and a new earth and redeeming it. And the centerpiece of that redemption is the healing of the relationship with man with God. Look what John says. This is the important thing. There's two important things that are going on in this text. What are they? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. What healing does John see? He he sees the final perfect healing of our relationship with God. And what's the second healing that he sees? He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. God is redeeming. God is healing. These two things go hand in hand. That the most important thing that needs to be healed for us is our relationship with God. God has to restore that relationship. That needs to be healed. He is aiming everything in Scripture towards that. Everything that Jesus came to do was to mend that relationship. But it's not just mending our relationship with God. God cares very deeply about this physical world that he made, about the physical body that he gave you. And he intends to redeem that physical body and take all the suffering away so there will be no more mourning. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying. There will be final perfect healing. And that's what Paul was looking forward to. He says all creation groans and we ourselves groan looking forward to this. So why is this important to us? Because we all need the same kind of healing. As I was preparing this series, as I was preparing this sermon, the one thing that I did was I started making a list just from memory of all the people I could think of at Lakeside and the need that they have for healing, all kinds of healing. And I honestly don't think I left anybody out on that list. My hand was cramping as I was writing this list, because I don't write all that often. I usually type, and I was writing it by hand. And I was writing down name after name after name. And beside each name, I was writing down the healing that was required. Because we all need healing. I'm on the list. Wendy's on the list. Isaac's on the list. You're 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 on the list. Right? I was writing down the names, and I was writing down the healing that's required. We all need this healing. Whether it's physical illness or mental illness or stress or depression or broken relationships or unforgiveness or heartache or loneliness or abuse or oppression or guilt or greed or anger or envy or fear, I could write it all down beside different names, different things, different people. We all need this redemption healing. And so we have in our, min, in our minds, perhaps, the healing that we think we want, just like the paralytic. 
We have in our minds right now the healing that we are asking God for, that we think God should give us, that we think is what we want in our lives, but God knows the healing that we need, and we can trust Him. Of primary importance is that our biggest wound is healed first, our relationship with God, and from that healing, that new life with God can come healing and restoration and redemption in all the other areas of our life. And we may never be perfectly healed in this life. Like Paul, we may groan with suffering, with a thorn in our flesh that even his prayer couldn't take away, but we await a perfect healing to come. God has compassion for our wounds and our sorrows. He intends for us to have joy and to have hope, even when sin and even when the curse of this world has wounded us. He has healing in store for us that we can't even imagine. And so those are the two sort of pillars that I want us to to anchor our healing understanding on from Scripture. If we're going to look at healing biblically, our first great need for healing is with our relationship with God. And secondly, to not doubt or even think that God does not care about our suffering and our sorrow. God absolutely cares about this world and about the suffering and the sorrow that's in it. And he has given us hope for that perfect healing that is to come. Jesus and God show compassion in their healing. But they know the healing that we need first. They're working by the Holy Spirit for us to understand the healing of our relationship with Him that needs to happen first. And may even be using the wounds and the hurts and the suffering in our life in order to lean us in even more fully on them to get that relationship healed. But there is a hope in the end of perfect healing that God has in mind because this is what God is doing. He is a redemptive God.